I've gone to church all of my life. Um, my parents shared their testimony on Wednesday a couple of weeks ago uh, at our refuel service and shared about how my mom didn't grow up in church and a neighbor began to bring her and then she came to know the Lord and my dad uh, sporadically went to church and then came to know Jesus in his early 20s and with that they brought us to church every week. Then in high school, I felt the call into ministry and surrendered to that call, and then had the awesome opportunity to work five years as a a children's pastor, and loved uh, being able to do that. And actually, 25 years ago, last Sunday, was my 25-year anniversary as a lead pastor. And so I've been in ministry for 30 years, and, and you all were gracious to give me some time off this summer for that. But 25 of those years, I have been a lead pastor. And this is what I've learned in church. I mean, from the time I was a little boy, and uh, that, that healthy churches are healthy because of healthy relationships. Healthy churches are healthy because of healthy relationships that are in the church. And Paul, as he writes the church at Thessalonica, you have to remember, this is first century. These little boys and girls didn't grow up going to church all of their life. Paul had just swept into Thessalonica just a few years prior, and now they have a church going, and now they need some guidance on how to be healthy. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to pick up together in verse number 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll pick up in verse number 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. And with that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the awesome privilege we have to open your word today. And God, we recognize that uh, you are a God who has uh, set forth the church, the bride of the Lord Jesus, to be that testimony of his greatness to the world. So, Father, may we be completely in step, moving in your will at your direction to bring honor and glory, to say thank you, Jesus, for the blood that you have shed for us. In your name, amen. Paul has just finished two big sections about the future. He has talked about the coming of Christ. You remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, hey, there's going to be, uh, the, the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a voice, with the shout of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive and, and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians four sixteen and following. He has just talked about the return of the Lord. Then we step into and remember that these 
chapters and verses were put in much later. Okay, Paul didn't say this is going to be verse 1 and 2. Paul is writing a letter. So as he writes that letter, he moves in talking from the return of Christ to the day of the Lord. And he reminds us in 1 Thessalonians around verse uh, chapter 5, verse 2, 3, that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. And we looked last week at the day of the Lord and the pictures from the Old Testament and the New Testament picture a day of impending judgment. Now Paul moves from the return of Christ and talking about judgment to talking about a healthy church. And he moves and talks about how and, and what's supposed to happen in the church. And I think Paul is driving this home. In light of Jesus' return and in light of the judgment day coming, it is important that a church be healthy and in harmony. So here's the issue, that when we think about church conflict, it is devastating to the spiritual progress of the church, the spiritual maturity of the, of the church, but it also has an impact on the community outside of the church. So in light of Jesus coming and in light of the day of the Lord, Paul is going to have a word to pastors, to church members, and then a word to all of us on how we are to proceed until Jesus comes. So as we, again, just working right through the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is the one who kind of lined all of this up, and he says, look, Jesus is coming. The day of the Lord is coming, and this is what the church is supposed to look like. And then next week, we're going to talk about, and this is what the characteristic of a believer should be like. But today, we look specifically, and Paul has a word. He has a word to the church leaders. He has a word to the church family, and he has a word to all of us. So let's jump in. Look back with me in verse number 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and this is what we see, that pastors must follow God's call to lead. Notice what he says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So he gives three characteristics of how a pastor is to, to act in ministry. First off, a pastor is to labor diligently. He says that I want you to recognize those who labor among you. Now, this is the same word if you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 in verse number 3, where Paul commends them for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. Same word labor here that is used. So Paul is saying that pastors, those you recognize church leaders, those who are laboring diligently among you, laboring to the point of weariness. Now, it has been a long-standing joke that pastors are six days invisible and one day incomprehensible, all right? But the picture that Paul shares is that pastors are to be laboring and laboring diligently. There is to be a work ethic to those that are in the ministry. And I am thankful to say, as I look around at our staff today, I don't have to tell any of them hey, you need to step up a little bit more. They all work diligently, and I'm very thankful for that. So recognize those who labor among you. 
And then he says, and those who are over you in the Lord. So a pastor is not only to labor diligently, but he is to lead responsibly. Notice what it says. They are over you in the Lord. That gives a picture of leading and directing. That picture of over you is is used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where it talks about a pastor is to rule well over his household. And if he can't rule well over his household, then how can he really lead the church of God? That, that's that's what, what he basically says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, around 2 through 4. Uh, when, when we think about this, there is a sense in which pastors have a calling to lead a congregation. Now, notice what it says here. Those who uh, are over you in the Lord. So that we understand pastors are not to lead for their own personal power or gain or prestige or climbing up a ladder or anything like that. It is all about being an under shepherd to the great shepherd so that the shepherd, the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus is the one who leads and guides and directs the church. And there under his leadership, there are those who are under shepherds over churches, but under the Lord who are to lead in the Lord, that they are to lead in a manner that is consistent with his character. They are to lead in a manner which is consistent with with his word, they are to lead in a manner which brings glory to his name and does not defame him. Now we understand and we all have seen the news and you all and I have lived long enough to see that some guys start well and somewhere along the line, it all kind of turns back and, and they get their focus all wrong. The challenge that Paul says the, to, to leaders, to pastors is they are over you in the Lord. That's the key, in the Lord. Now, Hebrews chapter 13, verse number seven and verse number 17 talks about, again, pastors leading. But in verse number 17 of Hebrews chapter 13, it tells us that pastors are to give an account of people's souls. This is serious business. This, this is, this, this is, this is grave. This is serious. So pastors are to lead responsibly. And then they are to instruct biblically. Recognize those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and they are the ones who admonish you. They instruct biblically. They are to be teachers of God's word. The word admonish gives the picture of instructing or of warning. Now, when, when it comes to God's word, we, we as, as a church family, but as, as a pastor in particular, for me, this is the guidebook. This is where the truth comes from, so that we instruct biblically in saying that everything that we preach or teach or however we lead is to line up with God's word, so that If someone is walking out of the will of God, then the man of God is to take the word of God and through the spirit of God is to share the message of God so that it brings conviction on the people of God, whether they like it or not. The truth is, is that we are called to admonish. Can I tell you, there is a warning. 
Paul has just given it. Jesus is coming. Our warning is Jesus is coming. Are you ready? His warning is the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. And so the voice for you today is, are you ready? And if not, why not? Or what is it that you need to take in your life and you need to move, you need to repent of, you need to turn from so that you are ready for Jesus to come? And I've told you many times, you know, you get to listen about 30 minutes on Sunday morning where I get to wrestle with a text for hours through the week. And it's often that the Lord does a deep work and brings great conviction and drives home his truth And again, humbles me before him to say, Lord, I need you. Pastors must follow God's call to lead. But then he talks to the members, the church family. And notice what he says again back in verse number 12. He gives the the challenge that members must embrace God's call to love. Notice what he says. We urge you, brethren. He's talking to brothers and sisters in the church. He's he's not writing to the community. He's writing to this church. He's saying, brethren, recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. First off, he says that you... The, 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 that the church, the, the church family's responsibility toward leaders or toward the leadership is to acknowledge them. He, he uses the word here, recognize those who labor among you. The, the picture is, is appreciate, respect, give recognition to. And, and actually, the, the Greek word is, is the picture of not just acknowledge, but seeking to know. Know. Seek to know them. Seek to appreciate and show uh, that sense of, of recognition to, to them. Many of you have shared on many occasions, hey, we pray for you regularly. Our family prays for you on this day, or we pray for you every day. Hey, that's part of this picture of saying, man, we know and acknowledge, Lord, that, that you have called this man and you have called these staff members to this place, and so we are going to pray over them. Specifically, if you want to pray for me in the next 24 hours, uh, tomorrow morning I have my yearly uh, CT scan after I was diagnosed with uh, kidney cancer in 2016. Hard to believe it's been five years since the spring of 2016 when my kidney was removed, but every year since then I've had a CT scan. And so tomorrow is CT scan day. And those of you who have had cancer know that, you know, we kind of live scan to scan. And for me, I don't hardly think about it until that last two weeks leading up. So 50 weeks a year, I forget about it. Then those last two weeks come... And then I think about it, and I don't know about you, I start getting ghost pains on the left kidney, you know? So anyway, (laughs) he says, acknowledge them, recognize, appreciate, pray for them. But then he not only gives the, the sense of acknowledging them, but notice he says to esteem them. Esteem them. The, the, the picture here that, that he gives at, at verse number 13, esteem them very highly in love. Esteem them in love. I find it, again, interesting in, in that, that uh, picture of esteeming them in love is recognize their position. 
with a heart of agape love. He, he uses that, that word of sacrificial, God-like, Christ-like kind of love here in, in this passage. And I uh, look and again, I'm just amazed at this, but he calls the pastors as, as you all are, 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 are leading. Church needs to be loving back. Can I tell you? There, there are things that happen around this place outside of, of preaching God's word on Sunday morning and, and decisions that, you know, may not be your preference here or there. And it may not everything be exactly the way that you want it to be. But with that, we're reminded that this is the Lord's church. This is not ours. We're here for him, not for ourself. And love should be that permeating factor throughout the whole church anyway. That's exactly what Jesus told those early disciples, that that others will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. He didn't say that that I'm going to create one type of believer and they're going to have the same attitude and disposition about everything. They're going to like all the same foods and they'll like all the same music and like all the same time. He didn't say that. He, He did not create us as robots and he did not make us robots in life and ministry. But he did call us to love, esteem them, in love. And then he closes that by saying, and be at peace among yourselves. So be at peace. Be at peace. As we think about living at peace, that means recognizing that I have peace with him. And because I have peace with him, I can have peace this way. Matter of fact, if I don't have peace that's vertical, I won't have peace that's horizontal. If I don't have peace and am not walking in the peace of God, if I'm not experiencing his peace through knowing Jesus and walking in peace because my life is under the control of the Spirit, if I don't have peace this way, listen, I'm not going to have peace this way. How do you know that? Because peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're not filled with the Spirit, then you will not be able to display properly the peace of God, which is a fruit. So as I'm controlled by the spirit and the Lord fills me with peace, then I'm able to live at peace. This is what Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 12. As much as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Can I tell you? Sometimes that peace is going to depend on you and you. And you, and you. He has a word for the pastors. He has a word for the church family. But then he has a word for the church as they minister together. And we pick up with that as we see in verse number 15. There is this call that the church must apply God's call to ministry. And and we see this as uh, in verse number 14. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, Warn those who are unruly. So now we're given five commands on how we as a church are to act. Now I believe he's talking about in light of those that are in the church here. 
Okay? He's talking about thus, th- those of us. He's talking about this within the church. He gives us five commands on, on things that we are to be doing. And the first one, he says, is that we are to warn the unruly. I, I think the picture is, is that we warn the irresponsible. We warn the irresponsible. It, it is the picture of the person who is out of step. If you have ever marched in marching band, okay, you always start with your left foot. Your left foot is, is typically on a, on a song with, uh, in 4-4 four, four timing, 4 beats per measure. You always, one, two, three, four. I was at a band competition when I was in high school, and we had on black pants and white shoes, okay? And after that competition, uh, as, as the season closed, that was the last competition of the year, my uh, band director went and he spray-painted all of the white shoes black because when everyone else was marching on one, two, three, four, there were some who got their ones and their threes backwards with their twos and their fours, and they're marching out of step. And when you have black pants and white shoes, it sticks out horribly. So, there is something that is to happen if you get off beat. Now, watch this closely. This will be the closest thing you ever see to me dancing, okay? All right? So, one, two, three, four. That's marching in step. But if you start on the wrong foot, one, two, then you do a shuffle, and so that you get back on the right beat, all right? Those of us in band, and you know, band is probably about the only thing I miss from high school, you know? Seriously. Marching band is probably about the only thing I'm... So, so you have to shuffle to get back on the beat. Now, Paul is saying, look, you need to warn those who are out of step, who aren't walking in God's will. And now I think specifically he is talking about a group in the church at Thessalonica who said, hey, Jesus is coming, and because Jesus is coming, we're going to quit our jobs. We're just going to wait for Jesus to come. And when he comes, we will be ready. We don't need to work. Jesus is coming. We don't have to worry about our money. We'll just spend what's in the, what we have saved for the next couple of weeks. And then the next couple of weeks, then Jesus hadn't come. So he gives this picture to warn those who are out of step and those who are unruly or those who are being irresponsible. Tell them to get back on step, to get back moving in the Lord's direction, to get back moving in God's will, to get active in the work of the Lord and the work of the ministry and get in the word of God and begin to walk with him and begin to speak with him and begin to minister to him for the glory of God. There's the call that we are to warn the irresponsible. But then he follows that with not only a call of warning, but a word of comfort. Notice what he says next. He says, I exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, but comfort the faint-hearted. Comfort the discouraged. It's interesting, the Greek uses this word as being faint-hearted. The Greek word is pictured as being small-souled. They, they have a, they have a small soul that, 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 it, that they feel discouraged and disheartened and faint hearted at this point. They're ready to give up. They're ready to quit. They're ready to, to throw in the towel. 
You know what the Lord says? If you got people in your church who feel like they're ready to throw in the towel, who feel like, man, I, I, I've, I've, I've blown it. I've been gone too long. I've done too much. He says, comfort them. And I've told you the, the word comfort many times, but I, let me just remind you again, since we're talking about band anyway, the word forte, comfort, forte, means with strength. The word come, the prefix come, C-O-M, means to come alongside or to come with. So we come alongside with strength. To those who are faint-hearted, ready to throw in the towel, ready to give up, we come alongside with strength and say, listen, get your eyes on the Lord. He can do all things. He is all-powerful. I am here with you. Let's do it. Let's not quit. Quit is not in our vocabulary. Look in Hebrews 11. It's about faith and faith that perseveres, not quitting. So he says, warn the irresponsible. Comfort the discouraged. Next, he says this. Uphold the weak. Help the weak. Uphold or cling to. Now, it's interesting here that Paul does not share what the weakness is. Some believe that it's a sense of spiritual or moral weakness. You've got to remember where these folks came from. You know, these weren't kids who grew up in church and, and learned John 3.16 at an early age. Let me give you a little hint. John 3.16 wasn't even penned yet. Okay? That comes later. That, that's for us. But, but we find that, that these, these, these children grew up in a very immoral, idolatrous context. This is what they had been exposed to all of their life. And you can imagine a, an older teenager or a, a young man or a young woman who comes to Christ out of, of this backdrop of 20 plus years of immorality and idolatry and how that temptation as they're moving forward in their being persecuted for their faith, how that temptation just to go back with their old crowd, to go back to the immorality, to go back to feeding the flesh. And he says, look, I want you to come up on these folks and I want you to uphold them and help them. Don't let them fall. You call them, you pray for them, you stand with them. You have an open line that when they're in those moments of vulnerability or temptation, that you're someone that they can call. That's the picture here. Help the weak. And can I tell you, across this church and many other churches, there is a call for those who are strong in their faith to help the weak. For those who are mature in their faith to say, you know what, Pastor Buddy, if you would let me know of a young man or a young woman, man, I'll, I'll call them and check on them. If there's somebody struggling, man, I, I've, I've been through that age 20s and I've been through those age 30s and I've I've... I've wrestled with the challenge of, of raising kids and, and I've, I've, I've wrestled with that. And if you have anyone younger that you ever want someone to talk to, I'll be that person. Let me ask you, 
Those of you who are stronger, more mature in the faith, you've been down the road. Are you willing to come alongside those and help the weak? Next, he goes on. He says that we're not only to warn the irresponsible and comfort the discouraged and help the weak, but then he says at the end of verse number 14, be patient with all. Be patient. Long-suffering, long-tempered. We have a long fuse, a really, really long fuse that's not going to explode in a, in a moment, in a second. That when someone's struggling in their life, we're going to, to be patient. As we're upholding the weak and comforting the discouraged and we're warning the unruly, we're not going to lose it ourselves. We're going to be patient. We're going to understand where they are in their spiritual life. And, and though uh, you're, you're watching them make the same mistake again and again, you're going to say, no, look, I'm, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to blow up. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to show the patience of the Lord. Patience is always one of those things that we can, str- at least me. I mean, I, this is one of these things I can struggle with. Julie and I took a couple of days and on Thursday morning we left and went down to Mississippi and came back yesterday and, you know, just driving in traffic. I, I don't get it why people get in the left lane and they drive too slow, you know? I can be impatient. I can be impatient. And the Lord says that we need to be patient with all And I find the word all quite interesting as well because I think he may be going outside even the context of the church here and saying, there's somebody you've been witnessing to and you've talked to them till you're blue in the face and they haven't come to Jesus yet. And he says, be patient. Don't give up. Don't quit. Be patient. Be patient. Then last Last command that he gives to us in the church, we're to pursue what is good. Notice what it says. See that no one renders evil for evil, verse 15, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. This kind of goes with that being patient. I'm not going to seek revenge. I'm not going to lash out. If someone does something, I'm not going to to turn around and fire back, but I'm going to pursue what is good? There's a call here. And here's the call. Jesus is coming. Judgment is coming. And because Jesus is coming and judgment is coming, there is a challenge for us today as pastors, as a church family, as we work together, and then as we move in ministry together, to be responsible to what God has called us to do. There is going to come a day when the Lord Jesus comes or he takes us home to be with him. And the Bible gives the picture that even those of us as believers, though we will not be judged for our sins, that took place at the cross, we will stand before a judgment. It will be the judgment seat of Christ. And the Lord will say, yes, you're saved, but what did you do with the gifts 
the abilities, the opportunities that I gave you here on earth? Were you one who was a good steward of the opportunities that you had for Jesus? With that, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the truth in it. Thank you for uh, the message that you have for us today. And Lord, may we be a church that is growing closer to you, closer to each other, and making an impact on the world. Father, I humble myself before you as a believer, as your child, as pastor. I lift up our church family to you. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.